Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words you have taught in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. <clears throat> Amen. Let's read the book of uh, Breshit, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning of God's creating, the heavens and the earth, when the earth was astonishingly empty and darkness upon the surface of the deep, and the divine presence hovered upon the surface of the waters, Adonai said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated between light and darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it separate between water and water. So God made the firmament and separated between the waters which were beneath the firmament and the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And God said, Let the waters beneath the heaven be gathered into one sea, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and to the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw, and it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, herbage, herbage <laughs> yielding seed, fruits trees, yielding fruit, each of its kinds containing its own seed on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, herbage yielding seed after its kind, and trees yielding fruit, each containing its seed after its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning a third day. That is our reading. That's how far we're going to uh, get in our study of the, of the Breshit this week. Much can be said about this parashah. It is interesting to note that as we're going to look today, our, our main emphasis today with God's help is going to be focusing on the beginning before the beginning. Because there's an idea within Yiddishkeit, within Judaism, that before we can begin to study the Torah, before we can get into the Torah, which is eternal, we have to begin someplace else. Before we can study the Torah, which is the beginning, we begin studying the Torah here at the beginning of creation, we've got to begin before there was a beginning, which is where Torah was. This Yochanan with, uh, that Zakin Rayford read in Yochanan, Yochanan the Immerser said about the Mashiach, he said, there's one greater than me, and the reason he's greater than me is because he existed before me. And so, if you look at that, you say right away, Yochanan was the cousin of Yeshua. They knew each other. They, pl they played uh, cricket growing up. They played all those games, right? They knew each other. They were cousins. They, was, he, they weren't um, strangers. But Yochanan was six months older than Yeshua. He was about six months older. So when he said he existed before me, that all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, how can he exist before you if you're six months his elder? But that's not exactly what Yochanan was talking about either. In that all souls, everyone in this room is the same age. We all started our mission at different times, so our flesh, my flesh is older than some, and some flesh is older than my flesh, and all of that. But our souls are the same. 
Our souls were all created at the same time. And yet, Yochanan said, there, there is one who existed before me. In other words, before my soul was created, he existed. That's what he's talking about. Some of y'all might have caught in the Shabbat table sparks where I just put a line in there from Midrash Tankuma Mishvatim where it said, when God said, let us make man in our own image, he was talking to the Torah. And at the same time, we know from Jewish thought that God created the heavens and the earth ex nihilo. In other words, there was nothing. He created it from nothing. There was no Big Bang Theory and all that nonsense. He created something from nothing. It's like the old... The old joke I've told many, many times, some of you have heard it, and you're going to laugh anyway because that's how loyal you are, but it's the, the, the couple of scientists get together and they decide that, hey, listen, they figure out a way that they can literally make a man. So they get all haughty and they say, hey, we can make man, this is great, this is awesome, we, got, we know everything about it, and so they challenge God. They say, God, we, be, we believe that we can make a man better than you can make a man. And Hashem takes him up on the challenge and said, that's fine. You make a man and I'll make a man and we'll see whose man is better. And the scientists say, that sounds great. All we need is a little dirt and a little water. And God said, no, 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 make your own dirt and make your own water. <laughs> Hashem made man from nothing. He, he created everything that's been created from nothing. Nothing existed, the sages teach us. And the Bible tells us nothing existed. Before creation except God. And yet, there was something with God in the beginning. In the beginning of the beginning. Before there was a beginning. There existed several things. We're going to learn about it with God's help today in the Midrash or Bob. But one of those things was God's holy Torah. Who can counsel God if not God himself? So it says when he talked to the Torah, he was literally talking to himself. This is what the sages meant when they said that when we see Anoki in the Bible, it means it's an acronym for God wrote himself down in the Torah and gave it to us. We have to understand that everything that exists is God. We are, okay, here's going to blow your mind maybe, that right now where you're sitting, you're sitting in God. Because if you look at the, the heavens, you look at space, you look at the universe, I imagine the universe, it's not scientific, it's just how I in my little bitty brain, think about it. I think about the, the universe as one big rectangular box. And inside that rectangular box is everything, all the stars, all the different planets, all, all the galaxies, everything, the, the, the USS Enterprise, it's all in there. And outside of that box that surrounds that box and envelops that box and gives that box life and allows that box to maintain itself, the energy that keeps that box and everything in it going is God. That's why I say that where you're sitting right now, you're, you're not, you say, well, God is near me. He's not near you, my friend. You're in him. You say, I feel like God is close to me. Are you? Yes, he is because you're inside him right now. That's what we have to understand. Everything that is made, it's not like God, God, I need you to come and bless my flowers. God is the flower, so to speak. In other words, he gives that flower life. I went to my backyard, my daughter, she preaches to me my own words. Both of them do, in fact. And I rebuke them about it all the time. And then I repent. But this daughter happened to be Hadassah, so we were in my backyard. My backyard needs help. The grass is tragic back there. And I went back there and I was complaining about that. I said, this looks, this yard is terrible. It's evil. 
be rebuked. And she says, why are you cursing God's creation? Because there's an angel you said for every blade of grass. And so now you're like saying, I said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said that. I said, you're right, you're right, you're right. I need not complain about the grass because this is what God wanted for some reason. Gamzu. So we, we look into the Torah. The apostle Yaakov, James, as it's many often called, said that we've got to be not just hearers of the word, but we have to be doers of the word. If you're a doer of the word, then that's where it's at. Hearing the word is meaningless unless you're doing it. Faith is meaningless unless you're living it out. But he said, he uses an, an interesting analogy. He said, it's as one who has looked at his, his image in, his mirror, in the mirror, and then he walks away and forgets what he looks like. Now, that imagery is multifaceted. One of, the fa- one of that is, is you look at the imagery of the shiny laver in the, in the temple. The purpose of the shiny laver was so that the priest could walk up to the shiny laver, see his reflection in the mirror, and use the water that's in the laver to wipe away any blemishes before he goes into the holy place. The mirror is God's word. The Torah is God's, the water rather, is God's word. And we're supposed to look into the word, find our blemishes, and use the word to erase those blemishes. So when we look into the Torah, it is our reflection. More importantly, we are to reflect it, actually. It's the opposite. When you look into water, you see your reflection in the water, and you say, look, I've seen my reflection. It's the opposite here. When you look into the Torah, you are seeing what you're supposed to look like. When we look into the water, we see what we look like. But when we look into the Torah, we see what we're supposed to look like. This is why when you touch water and it causes ripples, it changes your reflection. This is why the Torah can change your reflection. Because it's supposed to be what you're supposed to look like. This is why the first letter of the Torah is Beit, and the last letter of the Torah is, Le- is Lamed, which, turned backwards, spells heart, because it's a reflection. We're supposed to look into the Torah and see our heart. This is why when you say, I don't, I'm, this is what people say, and I've, I've mentioned this on the other, I don't follow the Torah, I don't eat kosher, for instance, and, oh, you know, it's, it's so expensive, it's so far, it, I don't know, blah, 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 God knows my heart. So in other words, what you're saying is I intentionally violate God's commandments because he knows my heart. That's, he does know our heart, that's why he gave us a commandment. But the Torah is supposed to be our heart, we're not supposed to have another heart other than it. So when you say, oh, the word of God says this, but I'm not going to do it, but God knows my heart, because that's supposed to be our heart. If we have another heart other than this, then we have a false heart. It's like false love. So it says in the Gutnik Humash, in the introduction to this parashah, it says, why does the Torah begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beit? And not the first letter, Aleph. The Jerusalem Talmud suggests that Aleph would be an inappropriate beginning since it's the first letter of the word, Ariya, meaning cursing. 
Beit, on the other hand, begins with the, the word bracha, meaning blessing. This comes from Hagiga 2.1. But surely there are other positive words that begin with Aleph. They write, it says the fact that the Torah begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beit, indicates that reading the text is actually a second phase of Torah study. Whoa. By the way, I want to tell, this is mo mostly for people that are brand, brand new and uh, you're just now getting your feet wet, pun intended, in Torah. Genesis is the first book of the Law of Moses. It's a very important concept because it escapes a lot of people. Because people say, for instance, tithing came before the law. Oh, really? Where do you find that? It's in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the law. You just quoted from the law of Moses to quote that the tithing came before the law. When you quoted that from the law. Selah. No, it's important. It's important because most people think that the law came in Sinai. That was a reintroduction, my friends. That was a rebirth. The law didn't come. Oh, this is good. The law did not come at a specific point in time. Ask me why. Why? Thank you. Because time was created by the law. It is impossible for the law to come at a specific point in time because the time itself was created by the law. The law of God is the light of God. That's why when you travel at the speed of light, if we were able to do that, just like they are at the Starship Enterprise, then if you actually got to the point where there was a speed of time, time would actually stand still. The speed of light, rather. It would stand still. If you go beyond the speed of light, time goes backwards. That tells you that time itself was created by the law of God. Therefore, when somebody says the law came at a specific time and that it ended at a specific time, they are, pardon me, a liar and have no truth in them because they don't understand the concept of God's creation ex nihilo. My friends, before creation, there was no time. That's why when we enter Shabbat, we should not be looking at the clock. Boy, I hope he finishes early. I've got to... TCU's mm. got that game. Mm. Mm. Rabbi, should I... Should I go? I know my, my boss is telling me I, I must come in. Today is Shabbat. I got to you. If I, don't, if I don't come in, I'll lose my job and I'll lose my source of income. That's right. Let's violate the Holy Shabbat in, in lieu of the boss because he is your source. You know, my response to that is I was looking for a job when I found this one. No, no, y'all missed that. I was looking for a job when I found this one. That scares me, Rabbi. Be scared. <laughs> I've worked a lot of different places. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Basically, got to put first things first. So we're looking here at bait to tell us that there is something before the Torah that we've got to get into. There's something before the Torah that's presented to us. There's something that preceded Torah study, that is. The Torah has always existed, but there's something that precedes Torah study. In other words, before the Torah was made manifest, let's look at it that way. 
Because what we have here, our ability to read words on a page or words on a parchment is simply our ability to see that which has which is spirit made manifest in front of us. In other words, every time we somebody, some people say God does not manifest in a physical form. Then how is it my friends were able to read from the Torah scroll every week? Because every time we step up to a Torah scroll and we see Breshit bara Elohim, we've just read in physical form letters that were initially spiritual. White fire or black fire on white fire. We've just read God manifest. Oh, you didn't catch that. See, y'all are just like, what? Oh, my gosh. I thought we were going to have my blueberry scones getting cold here. Listen, <laughs> we've got to go beyond God is good. Right? Got to get beyond that. Got to, time to grow up. Time to act like we read. Every time we read the Bible, every time we read the scroll, we are looking at God manifest. Because before there was a physical Torah scroll, it existed in the spiritual. So therefore, we've got to look beyond. So basically, it says here, Torah study is somewhat a paradox. On the one hand, it's a mitzvah that connects a person to God. As with any mitzvah, the person needs to be aware of this fact to achieve a full connection. On the other hand, if a person actually thinks about God while he's studying the Torah, he'll not be able to concentrate on the subject he's studying. So it says the solution to this problem is, that, is called preparation. <laughs> In other words, my friends, before we even begin to study the Torah, we do exactly what God do did before he manifested the Torah in front of us. You understand that creation itself is a manifestation of Torah. So we say, how does the Torah, how, wait, wait, everybody's like, oh my God, you're so pagan. What you said was that the Torah became a flesh and dwelt among us. My friends, that tree out there is Torah manifest. This air we're breathing is Torah manifest. Everything around us is Torah manifest. Because everything that was made, that has been made, was made with the Torah. You understand? You and I are actually Torah manifest. You got that? Now, we're not the Torah. Don't get crazy. We're not the Torah, but we are Torah manifest. Everything is... Now, that, now, the pagans take that and say that everything is God. The tree is God. The plant is God. And some people start worshiping trees and plants and stars and moons. That's not what we're saying. The tree is not God, but it's... God made it manifest through his holy Torah, through himself. So it says here <clears throat> that we've got to prepare. Before he created the world, it says he looked into the Torah. In other words, he made a preparation before he actually brought forth Torah into ex the manifest of Torah, that is, into existence. So it says here he did this through preparation before even opening a, the book, a push person should take a few minutes to reflect that he is about to study God's wisdom. That has been condensed into a human, humanly intelligible form. Wow. The Torah of God that we are beginning to study here is his divine wisdom that has been condensed into a form with which we can interact. Because nobody can look into the Spirit of God and live, but we can look into the Torah and live. 
This is what it means when it talks about the light. He said, let there be light. There was no moon. There was no star. There was no sun. The light of creation is the light of the world. And it says, Vayer Elohim et ha'or. The, the phrase et ha'or, the gematria of that is 613. The light, the gematria of light in, in Hebrew is 613. There was a 613 mitzvot that illuminated the universe. Rabbi Monk in his commentary says this, in commenting on the verse, the way to the tree of life. As Rabbi Yishmael interprets this verse figuratively, the tree of life represents the Torah itself in accordance with King Solomon's definition in Proverbs 3.18. And way symbolizes the way that leads to the Torah. Yeshua said, I am the way, the, tr- the, the, the uh, truth, and the life, right? Why did he emphasize that, that I'm the way? Now, he is the Torah, so he's also the tree of life. But why did he emphasize the, the way? Because ever since we left the garden, we've been searching for the way back to the garden. And many people believe that they're following the Messiah from the Gospels. They believe that they're followers of the way. But instead of leading them to the tree of life, the Torah, it's led them into paganism. Instead of leading them to the commandments, it led them in the opposite direction. This is why we make statements from time to time that are, I make statements, I mean, put it that way. Some, a lot of people don't make these kind of statements because they're scared. That I make distinctions that we don't believe in JC. We believe in Yeshua. That scares a lot of people when I say that. I had somebody message me, I can, I'm not kidding you. Rabbi, you shouldn't say that. You're going to scare people away. I'm sorry, my friend. I am not here to placate. I'm here to educate. I'm not here to build an empire, although everything is working out exactly as I've seen it. (laughs) I'm here to teach truth. And if that that will, no, I didn't say it might, if it will offend you. Because many of us, and I've been there, so I know I'm, I'm preaching myself. Many of us have sacred cows. We've got to slaughter. We carry those golden cows with us everywhere. This is my little pet doctrine. Don't you dare. Not, I can't, can't believe you just knocked out of my shoulder. I'm going to say, well, JC and Yeshua are the same. No, they're not. No, they're not. Not even remotely close. And it's important that we get that. Some will say, well, Jesus and Yeshua is the same thing. No, it's not. And it's important that you get that. Because those two worlds are complete opposite. Everybody, I had my daughters Google this, bizarro world. (laughs) The super friends, back when it was good, in the 80s. Google Bizarro World. Everything was the opposite. Superman and Bizarro World was evil. And Superman in our world was good, good guy. Truth, justice. He was Jewish. He actually was Jewish. Actually, he was, actually. So was Captain America. 
But if you've got a caricature of a, of a Messiah that is leading you in the precise opposite of Torah, then how in the world can you even remotely claim that your caricature is the guy that I serve, so to speak, the king that I serve? That, to me, quite frankly, is a little offensive. That would be like saying, if you name anybody in this room, I know you and somebody else knows you, and I say, yeah, I know that person. They're righteous. They're exotic. They love God. They're searching with God with all their heart. And the other person says, I know that person too. And no, they're, they're a thug and a murderer, and they own a strip club, and they deal drugs, and they, they actually don't believe in God at all. Like, do we know the same person? It's the same person. Got the same name. <laughs> Clearly not, right? But yet we do that theologically all the time. But it's the same no, it's not. They were born in the same city. <laughs> Got the same mom and daddy. No, they're not. That's not the same person. You obviously know somebody different, right? But we all like to just make everybody happy around us because we are people pleasers. We enjoy that. We want that. And besides, they write big checks. <laughs> I just made a whole lot of people nervous. So Yeshua said, I am the way. There's only one way. There is only one way. And we live in a mess trying to find the path. It's a mess. The true path has been covered up with briars and bristles and under a bunch of dirt and mess and trees. And we've had to find it through using blood, sweat, and tears and machetes and all kind of stuff to try to find it. And there's all these other paths that say, well, this is the path, this is the way. There's only one way. Yeshua said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way to the tree of life. If the way is not leading you to Torah observance, you're, you're in the way, not on the way. Now, interestingly, Rabbi Monk continues and says, this way is that of Derek Eretz. Rabbi Yishmael continues, there exists a set of general rules which are preliminaries of the Torah and which serve as the introduction, so to speak, to it. So again, we're reading here this week the first few verses of Breshit, but before we even really get into that, we've got to get into what existed before the world existed. And what existed before the world existed, what, what this Derek Eretz is all about. The preliminaries of Torah study. These are a series of laws of moral conduct, gentiality, common sense, and propriety, not recorded in the Torah, but presupposed by it. The sages collected them and attracted Derek Eretz Rabbah Vetsuthah. It is in this sense that the rules of Derek Eretz antedate the Torah. So Derek Eretz, what are we talking about? Why is it that Yeshua, when he came, taught so much about ethics, love, moral behavior, right and wrong, and it's been misinterpreted. The apostles did the same thing. They came along and they were talking to, in large part, non-Jews who were coming to be converted to Judaism, and they spent a lot of time teaching them about moral behavior, right and wrong, how to interact with people. Why? Because all of that is a prerequisite before you can even study the Torah. You've got to get that right in your life. And you have people who come from paganism back then, and today is kind of starting to reflect that, unfortunately, that had, don't know how to interact with people. 
They, 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 their whole idea of morality, their whole idea of, of what love is, was messed up back then, just like today. So before you can even begin to study the Torah, you've got to study the Torah that, that existed before our creation of the world existed. And this is the Derek audits. These are the things that have to proceed. So Yeshua came, and he taught all of these ethics, all of these moral behaviors about love and so on, and it's been misinterpreted to mean that the actual Torah doesn't exist anymore. All you have to be responsible for or mindful of is your moral interaction. <clears throat> but there is a flaw to that. First of all, any Messiah, any Messiah that abrogates the Torah is by Torah definition a false Messiah. I mean, there's no way around that unless you just want to create your own religion, which go for it. The Hindu people have like three million gods. You might as well have three million and one. Now, you can say, people have said, well, we don't, all we need is the moral stuff anymore. We don't need all that other stuff. But here's the problem. You can have the moral as a prerequisite, but then you need the actual Torah to teach you what the moral is. In other words, you need the Torah to define to you what is love. What is love? Right? You need, not, you need to know what love is, and only the Torah can tell you that. Now, what is direct ha'aretz exactly? The Jewish principle of direct ha'aretz kadama le Torah means decency, kind behavior should precede the Torah. So before we can even start to study the Torah, we need to make sure that we have godly midot, that we have godly attributes. This is why many people don't have this, and they start to, to study the Torah, and they get Torah knowledge, and they become Torah Nazis. They're hateful people to begin with. They're full of anti-Semitism. And then they study the Torah. Uh, it's going to click in a second. We're going to go, wait a minute, how can I be anti-Semitic and I love Israel and study the Torah? Trust me. Happens all the time. They're not dealing with their midot, and then they study the Torah, they get all this knowledge, and they become brutal with it. I'm going to teach you Torah, and they might walk up to somebody and hit them right in the eyes with a hammer. Maharala Prague defines the idea of Derek Haaretz as um, comprising all the ethical teachings that exist, for instance, in the tractate Avot, as well as other ethical teachings that exist in the Talmud. It consists of conduct that is proper and pleasing to people. It includes teachings which, if one does not follow them, he thereby commits a great sin and transgression. He writes, this is why they're called divrei musar. They're called chastising words or words that bring good morality. It is the personification of virtue. That's what Derek HaAretz is. In the Talmud and the Midrash, it says that there are approximately 200 teachings concerning Derek Eretz as decent, polite, respectful, thoughtful, civilized behavior. One representative teaching is that Derek Eretz comes before the Torah. We see this in Midrash Rabbah, Vayikra 9.3. And it says, One cannot personify Torah until he demonstrates Derek Eretz 
and everything that he does. It is impossible for us to be people to bring Torah into fruition if we're not people who have these moral attitudes, that we're genuinely kind and genuinely compassionate, that we're able to interact in society as if we know that we're educated people, not animals. You cannot be an animal and be a, a Torah person. It says there are, more, there are many more such teachings from the Rishonim and Nachonim, the post-Talmudic authorities from the books of Musar. Under the general rubric of Derek Aretz, the sages caution us against overeating, eating too quickly. An attribute I've blamed on the Marine Corps for nearly 30 years, but I'm getting better. Or stating at, staring at someone else who is eating. Also, one should not talk too loudly or too much. And should greet people pleasantly. In fact, you should strive to greet someone before they greet you. Likewise, a person with Derek Eretz is careful to spend only what they can afford. In order to raise children with Derek Eretz, it is important, it says here, not to spoil them by accusing them to having delicacies. In general, to have Derek Eretz usually means to live ethically, responsibly, and with dignity, and to be considerate of other people. And so, uh, to put it concisely, we're talking here about humility, kindness, Having a job, that's another aspect of Derek Eretz. It says in Pirkei Avot that if you have Torah but you're not employed, you have no Torah. This is why the nonsense, everybody loves Orthodox Judaism, I do too, but the idea that you would have yeshivas all across the world full of young, healthy men who are spending their entire day studying Torah and they're getting government support checks is absolutely an abomination. And any Jew, I don't care if you've got a big, giant black sombrero, you don't, you're living in Israel and you don't serve in the military there like everybody else, you are a coward and a thief. You're a coward. You don't hide behind Torah and get somebody else to go defend you. That's right, Rebbecine said there's even, even women that must serve in the armed forces in Israel. It's required there, not required here. It's a vol- we have a volunteer service in the United States, and we should continue to have a volunteer service. There's a reason why we have it, there's a reason why they have a requirement over there. But can you imagine? Here you got your black suit on, black tie, long beard, big, beautiful hat. You're studying your Torah all day in yeshiva, no job, getting a government check. While Sarah takes her gun to go defend you, how can you live with yourself? How can you live with yourself? You're a coward. I mean, how can you possibly begin to study Torah with that level of midot? 
Well, Rabbi, I don't believe in the military. I don't care if you believe in the military or not. Everybody's got to serve. You've got to serve too. But you, could, you don't have to go fire a gun. If you want to, you can go work in supply and hand out clothes. You could work in the chaplains. They have rabbinic chaplains there in the military. If you are you a, 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 con, a conscious observer or whatever, I'm not. 200 rounds a minute. So, you know, um, intimacy with a spouse. That's Derek Haaretz. I spend all my time studying, Rabbi. I don't have time to be intimate with my wife and spend time with her. Shut the book. Go home. Your wife is your home. Go home. Being courteous. We got to be courteous to people. Be kind to people. Be respectful to people. We can disagree with people, and we can be, we, we, we've lost this in our present culture. We've lost the ability to disagree but be respectful. You can be up front. You can be blunt with somebody and say, this is what I believe, and you can be clear but not be hateful. You don't believe what I believe, but okay, that's fine. Then we, we can just agree that we don't believe the same thing at the moment. Maybe we'll come to an agreement down the road, but we don't have to call each other names. I don't have to... You know, you know, say these things to you. We can be nice and civil about it. At the same time, we don't have to hide what we believe, do we? Do I have to? We have to placate each other. You have to, you know, we have to do that. No, but we 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 don't have to get online and call our mamas bad names. I block you. The whole purpose of Torah <clears throat> is to create a home for Hashem. And in order to have a, a good home, you have to have a home with shalom bayit. If your home does not have peace, then you need to work on that. And ladies, I need you to not listen to this for a second. Don't listen to this. Just daydream off. Look at the wall. Daydream. Daydream. Daydream over there. Gentlemen, shalom bayit is our responsibility. All right, ladies, pay attention again. <coughs> We don't have peace in the home. We got to work on peace in the home. And we're, Torah observance is all about creating a home for Hashem, which means we've got to be peaceful people. Peaceful, by the way, doesn't mean being passive. You can be peaceful and carry a Glock. That's why it's, they were called the peacemakers, right? You, you know, all of that. It says here in the Kehol Tumash, the tool God gave humanity to enable it to perform this feat of creating a home for God is the Torah. Inasmuch as the Torah was used to create the universe, as we've just read today, we use the Torah to create a home for Hashem. One thing that I, I really strive to help us get out of the, out of the mindset of is this Western mentality that is um, that's enabled by theology, that everything is all about us all the time. And that Torah observance, we all when we think about Torah observance and, and living Jewishly, we think about ourselves all the time. Not realizing from the Jewish mindset 
that Torah observant is not just about us, it's about the whole universe. That our acceptance of God's covenant is not whether or not I want to put my hair up in a tekel or not, or whether or not I want to wear the seat seat or not, or whether or not I want to wear the, eat the kosher or not. Me, 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 God, 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 why is this I, 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 I? And God says, you ever thought for a second that you're making a home for me? You ever thought about that for a second? That it's not about you, actually? That the mission I sent you on was not about, hey, Frank, go make a great place for yourself. But rather the mission had to be with, hey, Frank, go save the universe. And so our adoption of Torah is to make a home for God, which has the bigger picture of bringing the world into teshuva. You say, I don't know if I want to light the candles or not. My, my friend, my lady, you doing that is bringing down Kedusha into the universe. Now, does it have Kedusha for you in your house? Absolutely. Absolutely does. But we've got to get beyond ourselves. That we are here to create a home for God. It says, by living life according to the Torah's instructions, humanity would be able to transform a world initially antagonistic to divinity into a conduit to divinity. It's saying here that we've got to create a home for God. And the way that we do that, do that is following the Torah. The way... It's interesting because in the book of Breshit, there's basically, there's basically, basically pretty much no mitzvahs for us, or very few, not like the other books. Commentators ask, why does Breshit begin like it does? Why doesn't, just be, why doesn't, since it's a Torah, why doesn't it begin with the story of the Exodus? Why do we need this other preliminary stuff? And the answer is, before we can even live for God in the way he wants us to, we have to understand that he is God. That he is the creator of the universe and he created everything from nothing. And therefore, we don't get to have a say. Oh, we get, to, we get a choice, to be sure, that we have the freedom of choice. We can choose to obey God and we can choose not to obey God. But please don't think that we get rewarded either way we go. <laughs> it's like the father who says, you know, you can choose to obey the rules of this house and therefore live here. Or you can be exiled. If I were you, I would choose to obey the rules of the house. Because exilation, is, if that's a word, is not, <laughs> is not good. So we, but we think that because we have a choice, like, do I want to be Jewish or not? Let me see. Do I want to? I want to be Jewish or not. Um, you know, I've kind of, it seems kind of fun and, and cool, but I, I, may, I don't think I really want to. As if that's the choice. Because at the end of time, you're going to be Jewish whether you like it or not. No, actually, I prefer this other religion over here than, than I, Rabbi, to Judaism. So I'm going to choose to do that as if there is another religion. See, see, that's the trick. You think there's something else. Wow. That's miraculous. Or mar- remarkable, rather. You actually believe there's something else besides the kingdom of God that you can choose. Well, I don't want to be a Jew. Never mind the fact that you're reading a Jewish book, believe in a Jewish God, follow a Jewish Messiah. All of your heroes are Jewish, but you don't want to be one. Think about it. 
Think about it. You know what that is? That's just nonsense and nostalgia. It's rebellion. Which is like witchcraft. I didn't say that. I didn't write that. There was a prophet who said that. One of those rabbi guys. Those men. Samuel. All right, almost done here. Don't get bored. All right. A couple of thoughts here. In the beginning, the earth was astoundingly desolate. It says in Midrash Tankuma that, that God uses desolation in order to create existence. People say, I didn't, I didn't know, I don't know anything about Torah, and here I am. You're the perfect, you're the perfect void world with which his spirit can hover over and create something. This is what it means when he uses the base things of the world to confound the wise. I didn't grow up in a Jewish home. That's fantastic. He, did, he created a world from nothing. I bet he can create your world from nothing, too. The throne of God's glory hovered over the waters of the deep. And our sages say that this is also the spirit of the Mashiach. Which is it? Yes. The throne of God's glory hovered. Kabbalah teaches that the purpose of creation is to elevate the 288 godly sparks that are trapped in the, in the world. This number is hinted to by the fact that hovered, the gematria of that, is 288. One last thought here. Why did God create the light first of all and then hide it? The sun that we look at, the sun is actually a sheath for the divine light. That's why you can't look at it with your naked eye. The sun is literally a sheath for the divine light. Behind the, because you say, well, how does the sun, where does the sun receive its power? I mean, I'm not a scientist, but there's billions upon billions of nuclear blasts that happen in the sun. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So how come it never burns out? And the answer is that it receives its power from that primordial light of creation. That's why we won't need a sun when the, when the Olam Haba comes because the sun is nothing more than a sheath to protect us from the power of the divine light. But once we have our renewed bodies, we won't need that protection anymore. But why did he hide it? Here's the answer given to us in Hasidus. Because the ultimate purpose of creation is that God's presence should be revealed in the lowest realms. Therefore, at the very onset of creation, God made a mission statement, declaring that ultimately, the ultimate purpose of the world should be revelation. It's the glory of king to hide a thing, the glory of God to hide a thing, and the glory of the kings to find it. God hid his light so that we could find it. That's our mission for this year is to find the light of God and to display it so others can find it. And we say, Baruch Abba Bashem Adonai, 